Amen. Thanks, Hannah. And thank you, of course, to uh, Kissy and to Heather and to Jordan. And uh, like I said, for Hannah and her fabulous Zoom background and her wind sound effects, those are so uh, encouraging for us. Uh, As Hannah mentioned, we uh, have rounded the bend in our Focus 2020 through the Bible readings. Um, This week we jumped in and we uh, were in the New Testament now. So if you've uh, yet to to read through that with us, this is a great opportunity for you to join in. You can go to the church website. You can download a copy of the plan. uh, You can download the YouVersion app. uh, Read through it however you want to read through it, but read through it with us. Uh, We're in Matthew um, right now and uh, just making our way through the New Testament from now until the end of the year. So uh, not too late Uh, to jump into that. So we have a great um, text this morning that we're going to be looking at. But before we do that, we have something special uh, that we get to do. Uh, Of course, you remember when we were in Acts chapter 6, we looked at uh, the church sort of uh, selecting, setting aside, appointing uh, its very first uh, deacons. And of course, you know, last month, uh, we ordained uh, Pastor Chris, adding a pastor elder to our uh, to our church family. Uh, this morning, uh, we have the pleasure and the privilege of adding a deacon to our already wonderful uh, group of deacons. We have men that are currently serving as deacons. Uh, we have Holger, we have Rob, and we have uh, David Turner, who sort of functions as kind of our uh, our lead deacon. Uh, this morning, we're going to add another man to that mix. Uh, we're going to add Jeff Nelson, who I'll call up here uh, in just a moment. Um, but you remember that the deacons were men who were set apart and set aside to come along and to support uh, the work that the pastors were doing uh, in there in the first century church there in Jerusalem. Um, you know, they're, they're sometimes referred to as table waiters and as men who sort of take care of all the practical needs of the church. And yet, I think as we saw from the example, certainly of Philip and of Stephen, um, they're much more than that. Uh, Deacons are highly spiritual men. They're men who are there to come alongside and to minister to the body in, uh, in spiritual ways, as well as assisting with some of those practical matters. So um, we're awfully excited to have uh, Jeff uh, join that team. So I'm going to invite Jeff to come up now uh, as well. Uh, Pastor Jeff and uh, Pastor Chris are here, and then we're going to try to get uh, David Turner into the mix up here, and we're all going to be in our socially distanced frame here. So come on over here, Jeff. Come on, guys, if you can make it up. Um, but just a neat opportunity uh, to welcome Jeff. You know, Jeff and his wife, Diane, have been here at Calvary Chapel Mountain View for uh, going on the better part of six years now. Uh, they serve faithfully in all kinds of different areas uh, behind the scenes. They're working, I know, with the kids. And uh, as I always say, if you can teach the kids, you can do just about anything. Um, both Jeff and Diane are very involved in men's and uh, women's ministries um, just recently, Jeff's kind of taken over uh, the oversight of that uh, fellowship nights in the park on Sundays, and I just see that God's got all kinds of uh, exciting things I think that he wants to do uh, with Jeff and through Jeff and uh, Diane as well. So we're excited to have you join the the team. We're always looking for a few good men hmm. and uh, anxious to get back sort of meeting in person when uh, I know we're able to do a lot more of those kinds of things. So. 
I'm not going to make you say anything this morning. You can okay. just smile and, and look like you're glad to be here. So I am. Uh, <laughs> let's lay hands on Jeff. And if you guys could just extend a hand from, uh, from there at home, we'll just pray for him and God's blessing uh, on him. So, Father, we're so thankful for Jeff, Lord, and we're thankful for the way that you are using him, Lord, and, and his wife, Diane, already, Lord, so powerfully in the ministry. Uh, Lord, just evidence of the calling that you have on his life, Lord, to serve and to minister to your people. And Father, we're uh, glad to add him to uh, our team here at uh, Calvary Mountain View, Lord, as we grow in the ministry and as we grow in, uh, in our service of you. Father, we pray that you would uh, guide and direct and anoint his ministry, Father, and just open up new opportunities for him to minister to the body. And so, uh, Lord, we want to set him aside unto you um, for your service. And uh, we thank you for him. Just ask your blessing on him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank All right. You. Thanks, Jeff. Thank, thank you. you, guys. So, outstanding. All right. Uh, I'm so excited to, uh, to get to do things like that. It, it, there's nothing that's more exciting uh, for a pastor than just to see that the way the Lord is working and the way that the Spirit is moving uh, in and amongst to raise up uh, new people and uh, open up new opportunities for ministry. I always say the more people who are ministering, the more opportunities uh, there are to minister. So with all of that, turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at a very fitting text uh, this morning. Um, I do have to, to say, uh, as we get into this, you know, I know there are some Sundays when the scriptures, you know, they kind of just seem to, it's like they're wrapping us up in a warm blanket, you know, and the, the word is so encouraging and it's uplifting. And in a lot of respects, it's as though the Lord just sort of reached down from heaven and he just speaks peace into our troubled hearts and our troubled lives. Uh, so there are Sundays like that. And then there are Sundays like today, which is a little bit different. Those Sundays when the Word of God gives us, you know, sometimes a stark word of, of warning, um, so often about the difficulty that we need to prepare for as we set out to serve the Lord. And you remember we've been listening in to the Apostle Paul's time with the Ephesian elders as he met with them there at Miletus, just a, a day's walk kind of south of Ephesus itself. Uh, and his words to them we saw last week uh, so filled both with encouragement as well as some exhortation, but just Paul really pouring his heart out to them in what would really be, he knew, it would be his last face-to-face -face meeting with them. And yet this morning, as we continue on and we look at the second half of Paul's time with them, we're going to see that his tone changes. And he tells them that trouble is coming and that they need to take heed. But then we'll see he also says that they can take heart. So take heed, but take heart. Let's pray and just ask that the Lord would really bless uh, our time in the word today. Father, again, we thank you so much uh, for the work that you're doing, Lord. We thank you for your word to us, Lord, and the way that you minister through it to our hearts, Lord. We pray this morning, Lord, even in a, a difficult text like today with these difficult sort of words of warning, Lord, that you would 
Um, speak to us, we pray, Lord. We pray that your, your spirit would be our teacher this morning and that you would give us ears to hear what he would say to your church. Uh, Lord, first and foremost, personally and, and individually, Lord, but uh, collectively, Lord, corporately as a church body uh, this morning. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You remember we, we started out together last week. Uh, we picked up in verse 17 of chapter 20. And as I said, we were kind of listening in as Paul, uh, you remember he pointed these Ephesian elders to his own example, the way that he had lived personally, what we called kind of an example of living a life that preaches well. And, and Paul showed the way that he had served in humility and the way that he had stayed gospel focused. He'd stood fast in that calling and he'd really stuck to the word of God. And then he challenged them as well, really as challenging us to follow in his same example. But you remember it, we got to about verse 25 and Paul started to kind of bring the bad news, right? He said in verse 25, he said, Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, that you will see my face no more. And you have to imagine that these guys say, wait, wait, you mean never again will we see you? You know, we need to keep in mind that in that time, when someone went away, of course, you couldn't simply pick up a phone or jump onto a Zoom call, right, to, to check in and to, to keep in touch. When someone went away, they really went away, and you'd have no contact, contact with them unless possibly some written communications. So suddenly, this had become a very serious time in this meeting. And if he hadn't had their attention up till this point, certainly he would have had it at this moment when we saw that he declared in verses 26 and 27, last time he said, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's as though Paul said, look, I may be leaving but I have given you everything that I have to give, right? My work is done here, and now it's time for you each to take up the reins on your own. And this morning, we're going to see he's going to continue on in this very same direction. Now, the rest of our text, admittedly, is more applicable for pastors and for leaders specifically, but it is still, I think, very important for all of us generally. It's important for everyone because it, it gives us all, I think, a real glimpse into the role and the responsibilities of the leadership in any local church community. It's very valuable instruction. It's important, I think, for everyone to understand what goes on in keeping all of those ingredients for a healthy church and keeping a church healthy and keeping a church well-directed. And the Holy Spirit seemed to think it was important as well, so he's included it here for our instruction. And so with all that, Paul continues his warning, right, kind of in light of everything that he has said, in light of the fact that he's going away, in light of the fact that he'll never see these men again. He says in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, we pick up, and he says, therefore, 
He says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I have to say right off the bat, this one verse, verse 28, it's like a multi-volume manual for ministry in and of itself. Because here we have the Apostle Paul very powerfully impressing upon this group of pastors the, the high calling and the very serious responsibility that's been entrusted to them, not by Paul, but by the Lord himself, right? By the Holy Spirit, who Paul says had personally placed these men into these positions as overseers. Now, that word overseer, it's the, the same word bishops, right? It's the, it's the comes from the verb, right, to look for or to care for. And this word bishop or overseer, it emphasizes the responsibility of that role, right? To, to look after other people. Now, what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the head of the church, the head of the body of Christ in the entire world, and that he's the head of every single individual church fellowship around the world. The Bible also teaches that Jesus has determined that every local church be led through leadership that he appoints within that church. Right, So it's God who ordains the leadership within a church. We, we know that Paul will write back eventually to this very church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that Jesus, he himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So here we have all these offices within a local church. And then in verse 12, he continues with that familiar verse that it's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is the way it's, the church is supposed to be led. This is the way it's supposed to progress in its calling. So very often the question that people will ask is, well, how does somebody become an elder? How does somebody become a pastor in a church? Well, the, the, first, the first and foremost, I think the scriptures are very clear that elders are never elected, right? So here in America, we're super into democracy, of course. And, and this may come as a surprise to some people, but God is not an American, and the church is actually not a democracy, right? The church is a theocracy with the Lord Jesus as the head and then men whom he has appointed serving under him to oversee, right? Not to overbear and not to overlord, but to oversee that work on his behalf. And they don't just do it any old way that they want to do it. We see here they're to do it just the way that Jesus himself would do it. That's why Paul says here that they're to oversee shepherding the church of God. Right, so in the same way that oversee, we said is kind of overseer is that noun form of that word from which we get our word bishop. The word shepherd here is actually kind of a verb form of the noun where we get our word pastor. 
right? So bishop or oversee is what this man does, but pastor, shepherd, that refers to the way that he is supposed to do it. So leaders of the church are to care for the church in the very same way that a shepherd cares for a flock of precious sheep. And principally, we're called to do that in two ways. First of all, by feeding them, and then, of course, also by leading them. In John chapter 10, Jesus called himself, what? The good shepherd. And we know that King David wrote in the the most beloved Psalm 23, he says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. So under the guidance of the chief shepherd, right, the good shepherd, a pastor's primary calling is to ensure that the sheep are well-nourished, that they're well-watered, that they're, they're led to that place where they can be fed by the word of God. Right, now, Peter declares to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that as newborn babes were to desire the pure milk of the word that we can grow thereby. Paul concurs in, to, in writing to Timothy, he says we're to be nourished by the words of faith. And of course, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 said that it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's a steady diet of the word of God that keeps the sheep healthy, keeps the sheep growing. So whether it's from behind a pulpit or whether it's individually in a counseling session or a personal conversation or within a small group, pastors feed the flock the food of the word of God corporately, right? Collectively building them up in the word. But pastors also tend the flock, you know, looking after each sheep individually, right? Kind of pulling out all the bugs and the burrs from their wool to keep them healthy, or sometimes even pulling the sheep out, right, of a ditch if they've fallen into it, right? So pastors like shepherds are to pay close attention to the people and to look out for them and to care for them and to pray for them and, you know, encouraging some of them, maybe even exhorting others. All right, we need to make ourselves available to them because a true shepherd has a concern and a love for those sheep. And all too often you'll find a man who says that they want to pastor but you can see very clearly that they don't really love the sheep. And they may be gifted as a teacher, they may be gifted in other ways, but they don't really like to be around the flock, right? They don't have a concern for the flock. So they may be called to serve, but they are not shepherds. Uh, And I have no doubt that it's God that puts this longing in the heart of a shepherd to be around the sheep, right? Rather one-on-one or in a, a larger group setting, right? He puts this supernatural, this God-given love for the flock. 
And God puts it there because of the, the love that he has for those sheep. Right? A shepherd needs to love the sheep first and foremost because God loves those sheep because those sheep are precious to him, because those sheep belong to Jesus, right? Paul tells us here, look at that verse. Paul says that Jesus purchased them with his own blood. So when any of us as leaders are ministering to God's people, it's so important that we understand the immense magnitude of God's incredible love for those sheep, right? It says in Romans chapter five that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. They belong to him, right? They don't belong to us. But what that does for us is it should fill us with a sense of awe, right? That God would allow us to minister to anyone and to tend them on his behalf. Right, so when a, a pastor is an overseer of God's people, a shepherd to God's people, but only God, only Jesus is the one that actually purchased those people. They belong to him. They don't belong to us. And so it's important for a pastor to remember that we are here to point people to God. We're here to help them grow in their trust in the Lord, but we're never ever to put ourselves into a place where we're building a dependence of the people upon us rather than upon the Lord himself. Now, I've shared before that it was Pastor Rick who first led uh, my wife Michelle and I uh, to the Lord. And it was at a time of crisis in our lives and we were facing some big decisions, right? Where to live and, and where to work and other things. And we wanted to do the right thing now. We wanted to know what is it that the Lord would have us do? What is it that this Bible that just got put in our hands would tell us that we're supposed to do? And so as a baby Christian, I asked Pastor Rick, what do we do? And he told me to pray. And so I came back and I asked him again a little bit later. And again, he told me I needed to pray. And every time I asked, no matter what I asked about, he would show me some sort of a scripture in the Bible. And then he would tell me, you guessed it, to go and to pray. And I was getting a little bit frustrated, right? I'm thinking, well, I didn't ask for all that. All I want is an answer. All I want is a yes or a no. Should we do this or should we do that? And I didn't understand at the time what he was doing or why he was doing it. To be perfectly honest, I started to doubt that he, he even had the answers or that he even knew what I should do. But I look back now and I see that what Pastor Rick gave me, uh, gave to both of us, was something that was so priceless, is that he forced us to learn to seek the Lord on our own. And most importantly, he forced us to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord when he answered our requests. And those were such valuable lessons 
not just for us as baby Christians, but certainly for me as a future pastor and for my wife Michelle as a future minister to women, right? Invaluable lessons. So for all of us, we're to point people to the Lord. We're to get out of the way, right? Point them to the Lord, get out of the way. We're not there to solve people's problems. We're not even there to necessarily answer everyone's questions. But sometimes as Christian workers, as pastors, as leaders, we're simply there to infuse God into their circumstance, point them again toward him, and then allow him to touch their lives and to speak into their lives in ways that only he can. And we need to do it always remembering that he loves these people so much more than we ever could possibly love them. And I think that this, this realization is such a foundational truth for leaders, realizing that as we're ministering to Christians within any local church, that we are ministering to people who are so dearly loved by God. He loves them for all of their problems, for all of their needs, and this is a very, very healthy attitude for Christian leaders to have. God loves these people for all of their spots and wrinkles just in the very same way that he loves me for all of my spots and for all of my many wrinkles. So much so that he would die for all of us. You know, the, the worth, the, the value of each and every individual precious sheep in the eyes of God, it is impossible to overstate. And so I think for leaders in the church, it's humbling. It should be humbling for us to think that God would allow us in any way to be part of caring for these precious sheep. And so for that reason alone, it's a high calling and it is a demanding calling. And the only way that any one of us under shepherds can possibly hope to fulfill that calling is by staying closely connected to and by continuing to remain fully dependent on the good shepherd, right? The chief shepherd, Jesus, right? By taking great care and by paying close attention to our own personal relationship with him. And that's precisely why we notice that Paul begins this whole warning with these words, he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. So pastor or prospective pastor or ministry leader or Christian worker, notice the order, right? Take heed to yourself first before you try to take heed to others. And I always think about that announcement, right? The safety spiel on the flight before takeoff when they start talking about what? The oxygen masks. And they always say, you know, put your own mask on first before assisting others who might need additional help. And of course, they say this specifically for a reason. Because what parent would naturally think to take care of themselves 
before they try to make sure that their child isn't gasping for air. And yet, of course, we can all see the sense in the order here, whether it's for a parent or for a pastor, we can't possibly care for others if we ourselves are unable to breathe. So this is not only true for church leadership, it's true for each and every one of us as Christians that we have to take care of, we have to really nourish our own souls. We have to be spiritually healthy enough to then be able to be a healthy influence, to be able to be of any help to anyone else and and leading them and helping them either within the body of Christ or certainly for those who don't yet know the Lord. And so leaders have to live close to God, right? They have to be abiding in Jesus, right? The Bible says the very same way that a branch abides in the vine, right? Drawing the, the nourishment and the life itself from the vine. You've probably heard that expression. It's so true that we can't give what we don't have, right? The relationship with God has to be strong. It has to be vital. It has to be healthy. And the single most important thing, in my opinion, that we can do in order to maintain this spiritual health is to maintain our own personal devotional life. Just that simple, everyday, quiet time with the Lord, right? That time spent each morning to begin the day reading God's word and and setting uh, our course in prayer. And the focus of that time for a leader or for a servant, it's not supremely on leading the church. It's not supremely on serving others but the focus has to be on our individual hearts, a focus on our own personal relationship with the Lord and our own growth in that relationship. Again, it's vital for leaders, but it's vital equally for all of us as Christians to realize that when we lose track of the reality that when God first called us, he first called us first and foremost into relationship with him, he didn't call us first and foremost into ministry or even into service. That's the second thing that should flow out of the first thing. And it's such a great danger because all of us as servants, we want desperately to serve. But what we find is that when you get involved in Christian service, so often you can find yourself serving the Lord, doing the work of the Lord, but it comes at the expense of your own personal walk with the Lord. But true ministry, right? Spirit-filled, spirit-directed, spirit-enabled ministry has to be the overflow of what's already taking place in your life personally, right? Intimately, secretly with the Lord. So take heed to yourself. Right? Make sure that you're personally cultivating your walk with the Lord. Now, before you panic, I know that that was a lot just on that one single verse, but there was a lot there. I think we just sort of scratched the surface, right? There's so much for all of us to consider just there, not just as pastors, but certainly for pastors, 
but for all of us as Christians and as servants. And I promise you now we're going to move along a little bit more quickly. Right? I have to think at this point that as Paul shared with these men and shared his heart with them, I have no doubt that they, they were feeling the great honor as well as the great weight of their responsibility. Right, These shepherds that were appointed by God, they were going to be critical in caring for the sheep And now as Paul continues, next he's going to warn them exactly why it is that they need to be at the top of their game. Because Paul now kind of fuels the fire of his initial exhortation. He explains the motivation for his concerns. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. So not only does a shepherd need to feed and lead, but he also needs to protect the sheep from the dangers that are all around them, right? Protect them from those dangers that come in from the outside. And Paul uses this powerful picture, right? These savage wolves to really help these men, to help us, to understand that there is real danger that threatens the lives of these precious sheep of God. And he was speaking specifically of false prophets, right? False teachers who would come into the church there at Ephesus and ultimately into any church. These false prophets and false false teachers that if allowed to come in and to gain influence, that they would ravage and that they would destroy that local church body. Now, specifically for them in the first century, we have the Judaizers, right? These men who were trying to draw the believers back into the rules and the rituals and the, the rites and regulations, draw them back into Judaism. And we see them specifically addressed, of course, in the book of Galatians. There were other false teachers at the time that would have been there trying to lure the believers back over into paganism, right? Back to that worldly philosophy. And this, I think, we see so clearly called out in the letter to the Colossians. Paul writes this, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, I love the way that uh, J.B. Phillips, who's a, a New Testament scholar, I love the way that he translates this verse. He says, Be careful that nobody spoils your faith through intellectualism or high-sounding nonsense. Such stuff is, at best, founded on men's ideas of the nature of the world and disregards Christ. These, I think, are the very same wolves that threaten us today. These are the wolves that come into the church from outside the church. They come from the public school systems or the higher education institutions. They come from the media, all the popular hosts and self-gurus on daytime television. They might even come in from well-meaning family and friends who promote these man-centered, character-crushing, secular values. 
right? Secular humanistic philosophy and psychology, sociology, all of them as God alternative solutions to the greatest needs that people face. Or there are those who come and they sort of more subtly simply propose that it's possible for us to enter God's kingdom by the broad gates, right? Instead of by the narrow path. And all of these, Paul, when he writes later to Timothy, all of these he calls seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And they are all as dangerous like savage wolves. And it's the shepherd's calling, it's the pastor's calling to keep these wolves from working their way into the church. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 30. He says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So more dangerous even than the wolves that would come from around them were these wolves that would rise up from among them, not just from the outside, but actually from the inside of the church as well. And of course, Jesus warned us of these very same wolves in Matthew chapter 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, he says, they are ravenous wolves. So Jesus there calls them false prophets prophets. And then Paul here gives us some important insight into their strategy. He says that they will rise up speaking perverse things. Now pervert, of course, simply means to distort or to twist or to to alter, right? So these false prophets would take what is good and they would distort it until it was bad. So they would pervert the truth of God's word. And so often they do it, they twist God's word in order to shift the focus away from Christ and put it onto man, put it onto the works of man. Or they twist God's words and they pervert it in order to get us to doubt God. And of course we know, students of the scriptures, right? We know that this has been Satan's premier strategy from the very beginning. These are classic Genesis 3 attacks. Remember when the serpent twisted the word of God in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1, he asks, did God really say? Wolves in sheep's clothing will continue to sneak into the church to distort and to downplay and always to attack God's word to us. And today there is so much false doctrine. There are so many false prophets within professing Christianity. It's really, really frightening. In particular, just in the past couple hundred years, there's been this onslaught of these very same kinds of Genesis 3 attacks on the church, right? As very naturalistic and humanistic philosophies have given rise to a a real denial of the supernatural, right? The God of supposed science has superseded the scriptures now in the creation account. 
You have all the pseudo-Christian cults that have exploded like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian science and, and so forth. All of them twisting God's word, right? Claiming some kind of a special revelation or some kind of superior insight. But then we add to all that just this vast number of people, and it's a staggering number of people within the liberal denominations within Christianity that still do call themselves Christians, but they don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. They don't believe in his deity. They don't believe in his resurrection. They don't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures or even in the necessity of an individual to be born again, right? We're seeing this new resurgence of dangerous teachings about salvation and election and about free will and predestination. And they're teachings that call into question the character of God. And they puff believers up with this sense of arrogance and pride and they suck the love and they suck the life right out of their witness and then to all of that crazy stuff we just add all of the fads right these winds of doctrine that blow through the body of christ right from positive confessions and word of faith to holy laughter and barking in the spirit and all these new prophets and this angel dust that's falling from the heavens in the midst of a church service right you add to that all of the false teachings today that's becoming dominant and accepted even amongst church leaders related to sexual immorality and not just the affirming of homosexuality, but within heterosexuality that's equally immoral as well. It's the, the redefining of marriage and the, the normalizing of premarital sex and all of those things. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There's so much stuff that's in play right now, so much stuff that's going on today. And shepherds, pastors have a God-given responsibility to keep the church doctrinally pure, to keep the sheep in the green pastures of the truth, to keep the sheep from falling off into a ditch, right? From the, having the word of God perverted and, and trapping them. These are the wolves in sheep's clothing that Paul says will be rising up from among us. And it usually happens in the very same way as these wolves start to kind of make their way in to a local church. And I'm sad to say that I have done more than my fair share of having to run them off uh, in the past. And very often it's a married couple. Sometimes it's a single man, often an unmarried woman, who will come into the church and they hold some kind of a different view on some sort of a significant doctrine from the view that we would hold. And so they always come in knowing that and they come in by stealth and they come in quietly and they start to meet people in the church and before you know it they're starting to invite people from the church over to a little bible study that they're holding 
at their house. And they invite people over so that they can get into the deeper things of the Lord. And they usually say, you know, Sundays are great for the milk of the word, but we're really getting into the deeper things of the Lord. And you seem like someone who's ready to go deeper with those things. And so people get invited in and they go over and they have their ears tickled. Because wolves always know how to massage the scriptures to make them sound more appealing to draw people over to their point of view. And sometimes it takes us as pastors a while to get wind of what's going on and then to find out what they're doing and then to go and to have to talk to them and to talk about these things with them that they see so differently and to understand why it is they're teaching, what it is they're teaching. And if they turn out to not be teachable on this issue, then we have no choice but to let them know that they are simply not welcome to be in fellowship here. You don't negotiate with wolves. You don't try to reform wolves. You leave that to the Lord, right? You don't give them just a little part of the sheepfold in order to have some influence. All you can do is to get those wolves away from the sheep. And this all might sound a little bit dramatic, but the truth is that there is nothing less than eternity at stake here. Paul also seemed to think so. Because in the very next verse, we see that Paul pleads with these Ephesian elders. Look at verse 31. He said, therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul not only fed the flock, not only did he lead the flock, but he protected the flock by warning everyone night and day with tears. And in the very same way, whether it's in our own families or our own ministries or whether it's in this church, if we feed them but we don't warn them, then all we're doing is fattening up the flock for the kill. And the reality is that the scriptures teach that we as shepherds are going to give account for the souls of the sheep that have been entrusted to our care. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. It says, Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So this is what drove the Apostle Paul to tears. And this is what should drive the heart of any true shepherd of God's people to tears as well. Especially when we can see the sheep that are starting to drift away, right? Those sheep that are starting to kind of stray from the clock, the flock. And if that's you this morning, understand that the strategy of wolves is always the same. Those wolves will always attack the young or the weak who are often on the outer edges 
of the flock. The safety is in the midst of the herd. Why do you think we're constantly saying, stay connected, stay involved, stay plugged in, stay around? You know, Paul has painted quite a picture, right, over these last few verses of the responsibilities and of the dangers that are inherent in shepherding the people of God, right? Taking heed to ourselves, taking heed to the flock. There's this danger of these savage wolves from the outside. There's this danger of these sheep wolves, right? Coming up from the inside. And I have to imagine that these leaders, right? The Ephesian elders here, these pastors of all these Ephesian fellowships, I have to think that they're listening to Paul and they're thinking to themselves, who in the world is equal to this, right? Who in the world can possibly do all of these things that he's talking about we should just head back to Ephesus and forget this whole church thing forget about being leaders right who's going to take care of us right it's so and as though the spirit let him in on this Paul proceeds in verse 32 to give them <coughs> what is some tremendous encouragement it's simple it's powerful but it's so effective. Look what he tells them in verse 32. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul says simply, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be around anymore. But God is not going anywhere god's going to be with you and is powerfully there as he ever has been he stay close to him and what you're going to find is that he is greater than every need that you are going to have paul knew there was trouble ahead for himself paul knew there was trouble also that was ahead for these ephesian elders and for their flocks and yet he also knew that God and the word of his grace was sufficient to see them through all of these things, right? Programs can't do it. Compromises with culture can't do it. Slick marketing or entertainment, none of those things can do it. Only God and the word of his grace can build us up and give us that inheritance in heaven. And for a shepherd... This is such a great encouragement, right? Not only pastorally, but certainly personally. It's a great reminder that if we just simply stick to the word and depend on God's grace, that he will take care of the rest. Remember, it's the grace of God that will build up the people of God. And so often the mistake that we can make in, in our ministry or in our service or in our parenting or in our discipling of people is that we can tend to emphasize what it is that people should do rather than emphasize what it is that God has already done. And when Paul writes back to this church at Ephesus, we see that in Ephesians 4 through 6, he absolutely emphasizes the behavior of the believer, the things that the Ephesians needed to do, right? To walk worthy of their calling. But he doesn't do that 
in chapters 4 through 6 until he'd spent all of chapters 1 through 3 telling us that we're blessed right, with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places and that we're in Christ and that we've been adopted and that we're, we've been sanctified. And you see this over and over as a pattern in Paul's epistles. He always talks first about what God has done before he speaks about what people need to do. We can definitely say to our kids, or we can say to the people that we're ministering to, we can say, read your Bible, you know, worship, pray. You need to get out and serve more. And people will probably do it out of obligation for a couple days. But it's only once that they truly begin to understand that they are loved unconditionally and that they are in Christ. When they understand that their sin, past, present, and future has all been washed away, then you find that they will worship and they will pray and they will witness and they will serve and they will stay connected to the flock. They'll stay safely out of the reach of the wolves, not because they have to, but because they want to because they've been built up in the word of God's grace. Now, finishing up finally, right? he's delivered this series of stark warnings, all of these strong exhortations, these you know, serious grace-based encouragements. And now Paul's going to turn the focus back very briefly onto himself and back onto his example, really just to punctuate his point and to show that no one could question his motives, that he wasn't there simply tickling ears. He wasn't fleecing the flock. Verse 33 through 35, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, I've got nothing to gain. I've only got your best interests at heart. I've not been among you for what I could get from you, but I've only been among you for what I could give to you. So Paul's trying to assure them of his heart. He's trying to communicate his motive for ministry. He wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for the glory of God and for the building up of the people of God. It shouldn't come as a surprise to any of you, but if you're in it for the money, then the ministry is not for you. Paul was essentially a poor man as far as material things were concerned, but he was unspeakably rich in the things of God because he served the people of God. And he was supremely, he says here, blessed by it. Paul's quoting the words of Jesus, right? Words that are unrecorded in any of the Gospels. And yet Paul quotes them to sum up the heart of Christian service that leaders need to be more concerned about what they can give to the flock than what they can get from the flock. And some have said that these words of Jesus recorded here by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit, 
Some people have said that this beatitude is the best beatitude of all the beatitudes, right? Because Heather just shared with, us this, shared with us this morning, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us how we can be blessed, but here Paul tells us how we can be more blessed, so those of you who are already ministering to people, you know how true this statement is. It's that idea that it's it's better to share with others than to keep what we have and just try to amass more, right? The blessing never comes from storing up spiritual or certainly not from storing up material wealth, but the blessing comes in sharing it. And as we minister to people and we watch the work that the Lord is doing in the life of that person, we see the Lord breaking through the bondage of sin and, and as he starts to restore that life, right? The way that he can heal that brokenhearted person and then to know somehow that we played even just the smallest, just a part of that process. There's nothing like it this side of heaven. Verse 36, and when, they had, when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. You know, there's so much here this morning, I think, for us to really consider. But I just want to close very quickly with just a quick word, just to share from my own heart that I consider it, I consider it one of the great privileges of my life to be a pastor, and most specifically, to be your pastor. I truly do feel like I have the greater blessing and probably most of you would agree with that statement, right? <laughs> you know, teaching today through this passage, I can't help but be reminded just how high the bar is set and it's set certainly so much higher than I could ever hope to clear and yet I'm also reminded and I'm so encouraged just by the fact that it's our good shepherd, Jesus, right? Our chief shepherd, Jesus. He's the one who has this church and he's the one that has every one of you precious sheep in his hands and under his care. And that as we just are faithful to follow after him, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. And all I need to do is to stay out of the way of that. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the way that it equips us, Lord, and the way that it builds us up, Lord, the way that it warns us, Lord, the way that it calls us to examine ourselves. And so, um, Father, I just pray that your spirit would just, um, just fill in the gaps this morning for us, Lord, that he would be the one to search each one of our hearts and to just drill these truths down uh, deeply inside of us. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice 
to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. God bless you guys this week. Uh, Can't wait to see some of you tonight uh, at the park if you're able to come out. Uh, 5.30 to 7. Uh, If not at the park, then Wednesday. Uh, And if not, then perhaps one of these Sundays very soon uh, to see you in person at church uh, for worship. So God bless you this week.